This is one of those sections that everybody else looks forward to going through. Like when you guys saw, ooh, Romans, you're like, oh, this will be interesting. Probably going to be disappointing you today. I'm just going to go ahead and warn you in advance. But we are going to deal with all the wrath stuff. We are going to, how do I put this? Let's see. We are going to attempt to deal as politely and simply as possible with some of the some of the more spurious elements of this section. I think that's a good way to put it. You'll know when we get there, and we'll try to make sure we try to deal with the world as it is today in light of it, because it's important, and you need to know that. Now, with that said, reminders real quick, because we don't want you to just kind of fly right in here. Paul has covered who he is, who they is, and why they are together in the battle because of Christ. Then he immediately dives into the work that Christ accomplishes and what holds them together. Now, if you'll remember from last week, remember those wolves that I mentioned that are coming after the flock? Where did they come from? Who are these people? What's going to happen to them? I am so glad you asked these questions because I am convinced that someone sitting in the room with Paul asked these questions, hence this section. You ready? Be ready now because this, you know, like a roller coaster you get on. You get strapped in, and just about the point your anxiety starts to build up, then you go up the hill, and you get a chance to calm down. Romans doesn't do that. Romans just puts you in the roller coaster and then starts you at the top of the hill and lets you look over. That's, that's, that's Paul right here. There's, there's no click, 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 click. We're just going to dive right in, so let's go to verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and of righteousness of men. See, I told you. <laughs> right over the cliff and down we go, both literally and figuratively in this case. <laughs> now, let's cover some important things. Why is there wrath? Because I know that's not the whole sentence. We'll get to it in a second. Why is there wrath? Leviticus 11. Yeah, we have. Wait, we're not there yet though. For I am the Lord your God. Consecrate yourselves therefore and be holy for I am holy and you shall not make yourselves unclean with any of the swarming things that swarm on the earth. For I am the Lord who brought you up from the land of Egypt to be your God. Thus you shall be holy for I am holy. You have Proverbs 11.1. 1. A false balance is an abomination to the Lord, but a just weight is his delight. Why? Because as, as Leviticus said, he is holy. Holy. There is no sin. There is no wrongdoing. There is no variation or shadow therein. He is righteous and perfect and upright is he. And yes, I said is he, he is twice. I'm okay with that. So the holy God who is creator and sustainer of all things looks upon his creation and sees... Yeah, not that. <laughs> Hence, there is wrath. Why? Because a righteous and just God who is holy cannot allow for sin to go unpunished. This was Abraham's great question. They're overlooking Sodom and Gomorrah in the cities of the plains. And, you, you know, God says he's going to judge them for their sin because the cry has reached heaven. And what's Abraham's question? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to slay the righteous with the wicked so that the righteous and the wicked are treated alike. Far be it from you, shall not the judge of all the earth deal justly? It's a rhetorical question. This is one of the great things about that section in Genesis 18 is Abraham then begins the negotiations with God. If there's 50 righteous, will you spare the city? Okay, do I hear 40? Do I hear 40, 40, 40, 40? How about 35, 35, 35, 30, 30, 30 25, 25, 25? You know, that's basically what Abraham pulls. And the great moral of the story is how many righteous are there in the cities? The answer is none. No, not one. No, not one. What song is that? What, somebody, what, Cameron's my, my expert on all children's gospel songs, so, but the, what, there's, the, there's the no, not one song somewhere, or am I just conflated it in there? All right, well, when you think of it, just yell it out. <laughs> See, okay, so I just have the, I just have the reference for conflated. I like my version better. <laughs> there are none who do good under heaven. No, not one. No, I like that version better. We're going... <laughs> There, I've just rewritten John Wesley. I'm sure he's not spinning too fast. <laughs> if you're quick and you hook some jumper cables up to his grave, right now you can power the earth. <laughs> now, the wrath is revealed against whom you might ask. The unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness because that, verse 19, because that which is known about God is evident within them. This is one of those sections, just I'm going to warn you now, this little part right here, the, the verse breaks are terrible as far as keeping units of thought together, but I can't fault the verse breaks because they follow the sentence structure. So it just kind of is what it is. We just go with it. So we're going we're gonna to borrow. So the unrighteousness of men who are suppressing the truth and unrighteousness because that which is known about 
about God is evident within them. So they are rejecting God, rejecting his holiness. Always remember this part, in full knowledge of what is right and good. This is, again, I've told you this before, my favorite section. If you've never watched the Ray Comfort evangelism videos, go watch them and laugh. I mean, if you like what I consider to be unintentional humor, because he goes through the whole thing about the Ten Commandments and he's like, well, if God were to judge you according to his standard, how would he find you? And he puts the microphone out and they say, well, I don't believe in God. Yes, you do. And he puts the microphone back. <laughs> and they're like, no, I don't. Yes, you do. And it turns in for like a, about 35 seconds. It turns into two toddlers. Nuh-uh, uh-huh, nuh-uh, uh-huh. <laughs> What's always fascinating to me about those, though, is after he basically says, yes, you do, and sticks the microphone back in, back in their face, they might give him some, some lip for one more back and forth. No one punches him, first off. Which, be honest, in this world, doesn't that surprise you just a little bit? But number two... They stop arguing. They know, and he knows that they know, and you, and you know how that works out. They know, this is what Romans 1 is explaining to you. By the way, when people talk about presuppositions in their apologetic work, that's what they mean, is actually believing Scripture and believing what it says about humanity and then putting that into practice. They know that there is a God. They know that there is a judgment. They know that they are under wrath. You don't have to convince them. It may not hurt if you start there. I'm not going to tell you how to talk to people, but... They know, and if that's the place they want to argue, just move forward. Just move forward. The most important thing is not that they're under wrath. You know that they know, and they know that you know. The important part is what Christ does about it. But this is not alone in Scripture, by the way. You can go back to things like Jeremiah 5. Declare this in the house of Jacob. Proclaim it in Judah, saying, Now hear this. O foolish and senseless people, who have eyes but do not see, who have ears but do not hear. They know but they don't want to know. And then things like Acts 14, Paul explaining. In the generations gone by, he permitted all the nations to go their own ways, and yet he did not leave himself without witness, and that he did good and gave you rains from heaven in fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. Part of the reality that they know is the simplicity that you basically can't find a human society that doesn't worship. Doesn't worship something. They don't worship necessarily the right thing, but they worship something. When you go, when you go back and read about missionary tales from the Middle Ages or early apost uh, apostolic work in the beginnings of the church, they're going out into these nations, and it's, there's no nation out there. You're like, no, 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 there's nothing. It's just us floating around in space. You know, there's no, no, they have their gods and their, super, their superstitions and their beliefs and their practices and their sacrifices. The goal is not to try to convince them that they should worship something. It's to convince them to worship the right someone. That's the reality of humanity, and Paul is hitting upon that right here. Wrath is revealed. Why? Because you know what is good and what is right. The other, the other reality of that is go find a human society that looks at you. No, 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 no. We're fully fine with murdering people. That's, that's, a, that's cool. We're good with that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we might murder the other people. Like when we go to war against that people over there, it's okay to murder them because they're them and they're not us. But it's not okay to murder us, which by the way, that should always be your standard for how you really judge morality, is don't judge whether it's okay to do to them. Judge whether you think it's okay to have it done to you. <laughs> and you will find where your moral lines are drawn really, really quickly. Like it was just $5. Well, what if it was $5? Well, it's my money. Giving. That's how you know where the standard really lies. And that's the part of the reality of humanity. Paul is just hitting upon that and making sure that you, that you understand that this is the reality of life. So how do they know, just in case you're wondering? For God made it evident to them, verse 20. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power, and divine nature have been clearly seen, clearly seen, being understood through what has been made, so that they are without excuse. So God can rightly pour out his wrath against unrighteousness because they know that he is there, they know that they are wrong, and he knows that they know because God has shown them. Again, this is something built upon from the Old Testament as well, Psalm 19. The heavens are telling of the glory of God. Their expanse is declaring the works of his hand. Day to day pours forth speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words. Their voice is not heard. We saw this when we went through the book of Job, the realities of life in a lived, lived in a universe ruled by God, Job 12. 
Job lamenting the things that have happened to him. Ask the beasts, let them teach you. The birds of the heavens, let them tell you. Speak to the earth and let it teach you. Let the fish of the sea declare to you. Who among all these does not know that the hand of the Lord has done this? In whose hand is the life of every living thing and the breath of all mankind? just one of those realities of life. You know that there's something, and just in case you want to deny it, well, you know, go ask your dog. He knows. (laughs) Probably better than you do in some instances. The reality is the creation knows because everything knows. Verse 21. For even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks. In other words, they have failed their first job. Psalm uh, Psalm 29. Ascribe to the Lord, O sons of the mighty, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength, ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name, worship the Lord in holy array. Again, the problem of humanity is not that we don't worship, it's that we very rarely worship the right thing. We are really good at worshiping the wrong thing. And this is one of the places where the book of Psalms is very helpful. My favorite is... um, we did this for Thanksgiving a few years ago. Some of you, some of you would, might, might still remember this. Psalm 136. See, if, see how many of you remember. Pop quiz time. You ready? Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. Come on, his loving kindness is everlasting. Now, for homework this week, I haven't given you any homework for a while, so you're getting homework this time. <laughs> Go read Psalm 136 and you'll see this. The, repeated, the refrain that is repeated comes after a declaration of either who God is or what he has done, because that is the summation of how we understand God. You don't perceive the attributes of God just because you look out on the creation. You perceive them because you have been taught them, and then you align that with your understanding of the world. You see who he is based on what he does. This is just part of the limitation of being a human, trying to understand an infinite being that is the Almighty, that is holy, that is righteous and unjust in all his ways. Is Let me be honest. If I asked you to describe you, what would you prob- what would most of you probably start with? Like, tell me about yourself. How, how far down the list before you got to your job? <laughs> well, well, is that really you? But it's a part of you because it's what you spend most of your life, it feels like, doing, right? This is how humanity understands itself and how we understand other things. Therefore... It's how we understand God, not because of a failing on God's part, because that's just kind of how it is. So Psalm 136 gives you a great picture of this. It describes the mighty deeds of God. It describes the attributes of God and tells you to do what? Give thanks to the Lord for he is good, for his loving kindness is everlasting. Well, how do I know his loving kindness is everlasting? Because I've now seen who he is, and then based on who he is, I can understand what he is doing. This is the job of the human. This is the failure of the beginning of verse, verse 21. They, even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks. Instead, they became futile in their speculations and their foolish hearts were darkened. To put this in the modern vernacular, because the wrath of God is revealed, Because they are not living in reality, because they are rejecting the clear testimony that God has given to them, because they are knowingly rejecting this, they can't even. Whatever it might be in life, they just can't even. If you don't know that one, ask your grandkids. (laughs) And this is also in alignment with what Paul has taught earlier. I've mentioned... uh, Two weeks ago, this is Paul's sixth letter. So we've got Galatians, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, 1st and 2nd Thessalonians. Well, 1st Corinthians 2. A natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. And he cannot understand them because they are spiritually appraised. That's, this is kind of the longer-winded version of that. They can't. Because they don't want to. Because they, were, they would prefer to live their lives in their own wisdom, in their own strength. What could possibly go wrong? I mean, (laughs) other than, you know, everything, you know, what could possibly go wrong? But this continues, verse 22 into 23. Professing to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man and of birds and four-footed animals and crawling creatures. See, this is Paul laying out something that we have discussed numerous times without first principles. So, okay. Let me, let me back up. Everything in your life is built upon what in 
philosophy we call a priori assumptions, okay? Your first things, the things you don't even think about, they are just true. It's, um, you almost have to think of it like, um, oh, what is it, Descartes? I think, therefore I am. Like, you don't sit around, unless you're a philosopher or you've had too much coffee, you don't sit around going, I wonder if I actually exist. Like, right? You, you, don't, you don't do this, do you? Do you? Hang on. Do you? <laughs> Just making sure. I have to question these things on occasion. This is an a priori assumption you have about your life, that you are actually you, and you're actually doing things you don't, you don't think were in the matrix. If you do, we have people now. <laughs> do not ask the questions or you will spend the time in the cooler. No. Your life is built on these all the time. You know, what goes up must come down. Left and right are opposite of each other. These are things you don't think about and seek to prove in your daily existence. You just assume them to be true. Christian, the existence and work of God is one of those things. And if it's not, um, you better move it back in the scale really quick to make sure it's part of that foundation because otherwise you just found one of your biggest problems. <laughs> you just found the areas where your idolatry is creeping in and where your sin is flourishing left, right, and center. Now, if you take a human being and you remove God as part of that foundation, he is no longer one of those foundational principles, you get this. You get the worship of self. You get the worship of something else. I mean, how many times have you seen like one of those specials or news stories on the, what was it, the Hinduism in India where they won't eat the cows and they won't kill the bugs because they're reincarnated friends and relatives and things like that and they got to work on it. And if you kill them, you might wreck their reincarnation. And you see, I can already see some of you are sitting there just going, that's, there is nothing new under the sun. Remember, Ecclesiastes is always in effect. Why? Because this is human nature at its full flourishing, and that's never really a good thing. Things like Proverbs 14. There is a way which seems right to a man, but in the end, its way is death. Or as I've told you before, your book is perfectly described from a biblical text. It's just not the one we want. It's Judges 21. In those days, there was no king of Israel... I'm sorry, there was no king in Israel, and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Now, the result of rejecting God is the rising of wisdom and strength found in who? Self and man. We reject God's wisdom. We reject God's strength, which means we now have to operate in our wisdom and our strength. I read to you 1 Corinthians 1 last week. Remember, the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. So again, build a world this way. What do you think you will get? And you wouldn't know anything about living in a world like that, would you? <laughs> this is again why I tell you, I don't know how to do evangelism. Live Christianly. Live built upon the foundations of God. I don't know how to be countercultural. Wait for it. Build your life upon Christ and then live your life based upon that. You will begin to look different very quickly because you will think differently. You will talk about things differently. Your priorities will be different because your foundations are different. Now, with all of that said, you have to understand all of that because of the next word that Paul uses in verse 24. Therefore, <laughs> see, based on all of that, now this is coming. God gave them over in the lusts of their hearts to impurity so that their bodies would be dishonored among them. This is judgment in action. One of the things that I strive very hard to get across to you guys, and one of the things that we really do need to get clear in this world, the devil didn't make you do it, Okay. Very rarely do you need a whole lot of outside influence to get you to indulge in the lusts of your flesh. Very, very rarely. And by the way, do not think of this in Western puritanical terms only, which I've told you before is always like the worst cultural description ever. Because when I tell you someone's puritanical, what does that mean? Like every shirt is buttoned up to their chin right here. And you know, you know ooh, ooh, I saw an ankle, harlot. Those are the Puritans, right? Always remember that like the average Puritan had like 47 kids. <laughs> and I'm only slightly exaggerating. Like they were, like, you laugh, go, go look up some of the names. They were like, they were down to like Providence because they were out of names. They were out of names. They, they'd used them all up. All the, all the names were taken. 
The, the village had 472 people in there, and that was three families, okay? That's just how this worked. And, I'm, and I'm, again, I'm only kidding. The Puritans had an understanding of what this was. The culture looking at that said, oh, we reject that. Why? Because we reject the foundation it's built upon. Therefore, we will take your godly living and make it a slur. That's what they've done. So what ends up happening is that gets handed down through the ages. We read in our Bible, and we see lust of the flesh, and we automatically go, they must be talking about the stuff we don't mention when the kids are in the room. No, it's the stuff you want. It's the stuff you desire in your body. Those are the lusts of your flesh. And it can be a litany of things. Use your imaginations. I'm sure you just came up with several right off the top of the bat. And I don't have to try to guess which ones you came up with. The judgment is not that God's going to go, oh yeah, watch what I do to these people. It just leaves them alone. Leaves them alone. They've already rejected. This is the language that John uses. This is the judgment that light has come into the world, but men loved the darkness. They would rather cling to themselves. They would rather cling to their own desires, their own wishes on how they rule the place. That's what judgment looks like. Now, what does it produce? Galatians 5. The deeds of the flesh are evident. Immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, Jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these, of which I forewarn you, just as I have forewarned you that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, again, I say, you wouldn't know anything about a world like that, would you? I mean, if some of you, some of you are probably still watching cable news, God bless you. I haven't got the stomach for it. Have fun. Tell me what happens. But you, if you do watch for more than a second, you wouldn't know anything about factions and divisions, would you? <laughs> you wouldn't know anything about envy and strife. Though you have to watch reality television for that now, don't you? <laughs> Which, when did that happen? When did TV basically become news people yelling at each other and then like people yelling at each other about their ex-boyfriend and girlfriend? When did that become all of television? You wonder why I'm sitting around at the house watching Hogan's Heroes. <laughs> You laugh. I'm, I'm way too much fun watching Hogan's Heroes. It's just, I, I don't know why. That's why you're all going to spend some time in Zakula. <laughs> it's just stuck in my head and it won't leave. Sorry. Now, why is this the result? Why is this what they do when God leaves them alone? Verse 25. For they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. See, leaving you to your own devices creates what sin has always created in humanity. Genesis 3.5 For God knows in that day that the day you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. See, this is part of the problem. The first lie is, did God really say? The first real problem it introduces is, as the King James would put it, ye be like God. Well, it was beautiful to look at, it was good for food, and it was good to make one wise. See, what was the problem? Wise according to who? Wise in whose eyes? If you live your life and all you had, I mean, stop. how many of you would sign up with this for your kids? That they would grow up and only know what was good in the world and follow after it. You'd be like, yes, yes. What do I have to give for that? You te please help me out. Like, well, what line do I stand in? <laughs> that was Adam and Eve. They're in a good world, in a good creation. Everything has been deemed good. They don't need a concept of knowing good from evil because there is no evil. Evil would be what they're getting ready to do and what they've already accomplished in their hearts. The good is I'm living under the blessings of God, following after the commands of God, trusting that what he has promised is good because I can see who he is based on what he has given us. The minute we go, ooh, I can be like God. I mean, this is how I, Isaiah and Ezekiel describe Lucifer. That you declared what? That I will ascend to the Most High. That I will throw off the shackles in Psalm 2. That I will be like God. The way I always put it crassly is basically you walk up to God's throne and say, you're in my chair. 
And when you say it like that, you kind of go, no, no, I don't mean it like that. Well, I don't care. Just because you said it really politely or you said it in a really nice King James fashion doesn't make it any less of a statement than you're in my chair. All man-made religion built upon man's wisdom and man's power and man's hopes are going to exalt ultimately whom? Man. Welcome to your world. We've talked about this before that... If, um, if you don't believe me because you're not in my age bracket, so I am now 42, if you are not in my age bracket, grab your kids, grandkids, nephews that are in that age bracket and just ask them how encouraged they were during school. And so you laugh because the answer is a lot. More than we should have been. To the point that, you know what happened the first time we started failing at stuff? This has to be someone else's fault. It couldn't possibly be my fault. Have you not seen how awesome I've been for so long? <laughs> what, what have we exalted? Us. We've exalted ourselves, made ourselves to be great. I've, I've told you this, I will not sing. I've already ruined my Sunday school class this morning by singing. <laughs> there was song and dance in my Sunday school class this morning. You missed it. There was disco and John Travolta moves. And if you didn't see it, I got done before they were able to hit the record on the phone. So I am clear. <laughs> But I still, to this day, 37 years later, can sing Whitney Houston's Greatest Love of All because I had to learn it for my kindergarten graduation. <laughs> Why? Because it's basically the anthem of the self-esteem movement. Now look, don't hate you. Don't sit around questioning your existence. We've already talked about that. However, do not also, therefore, go into the other ditch and sit around and go, I'm amazing and can do no wrong. Ask your spouse. <laughs> the second you start thinking you can do no wrong, just ask your spouse. Give them permission to be honest, you know, and then just go sleep on the couch yourself. <laughs> because this becomes the problem. Man-made religion exalts the height of its religion, which is self. This is the problem. This has been the problem. This will always be the problem. Now, when you exalt humanity, I'm coming around because I'm not ready yet. <laughs> if you're reading ahead, you understand. When you exalt self, you have, again, damaged the foundation. Your first principles are no longer the right understandings of God because they are not any understandings of God. You have launched towards a destination that you do not know where it is, you do not know where you started from, and you've lost the map on how to get there. What could possibly go wrong from this point forward? You know, with that guy out in the country with my grandfather and I, we stopped for directions. How do we get there? Well, you can't get there from here. I hope we can. <laughs> so, what sort of disorder and breakdown of society will this produce? And the answer is, of every kind. Hence, Paul continues in verse 26. For this reason, God gave them over to degrading passions. For their women exchanged the natural function for that which is unnatural. And in the same way also, the men abandoned the natural function of the woman and burned in their desire toward one another. Men with men committing indecent acts and receiving in their own persons the due penalty of their error. Now, notice first off, uh, Sally, real quick, go back to 26 for me. Notice that this is the second part, for this reason. That's the preceding section. That is the, they've exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worship and serve. So because they're exalting themselves, this is what gets produced. Now, notice the language that's going on here in the terminology. Degrading passions, natural function in place, uh, being replaced by unnatural, and what you would call indecent acts. This is Paul's way of trying to bring forward to a Gentile audience the description of the law in the Old Testament. The law uses one word for this. It would be described as an abomination. It's Leviticus 18. You shall not lie with a male as one lies with a female. It is an abomination. Now, I'm going to pause real quick simply because of the world in which we live today. Is your Bible being vague here? Is your Bible unclear? Like, I don't have to go further. You got me, right? <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate that. I point that out because there are what we refer to. Well, hang on. Not what we refer to, but what people refer to in Scripture is what, what's become known colloquially as the clobber passages. Leviticus 18 is one of those. Um, Romans 1 is one of those. Uh, I'm trying to think of what the other was. Like Matthew 19 would be one. Um, 1 Corinthians 6 is another one. Um, 
I'd have to go dig. There's a couple more, and I've lost them in my brain. Probably something in Deuteronomy. One of the lies that the world uses is the oldest lie. Did God really say? When you see the world around you and the justifications for the behavior around you, the answer is that they try to change the foundation in order to make it okay. They try to come back and say, well, no, 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 no. See, what you really have to understand is that's not what Paul really meant. Well, I can read Paul, and I think Paul's pretty clear. And as a Pharisee who's an expert in the law, I think it's pretty safe to say that Paul is just bringing the Levitical understanding forward to a Gentile audience. And he's making sure he's going out of his way to make sure that you can't miss this. Now, why? Because again, the lie is, did God really say? And then the result of that is, ye be like God. So when you get to sit there and say, well, no, I don't think God really said. What have you really said? You've said, hey, God, you're in my chair. That's what you've said, that I will determine what you are, what you mean, and what is good, and what is right. This is one of those places where you have to stand on foundations. I don't care what the world tells you. I don't care what the world believes. You are supposed to have a foundation built upon Christ. Again, one of the Bible verses I quote the most, uh, Luke 6, 46. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? (laughs) In other words, why do you go out into the world and claim to be disciples of mine, and yet you twist and contort the scriptures? You do know that's not why they come with leather covers, right? They don't put them in the leather cover so you can go, ah, mean what I want you to mean. Arr! That's not, they're just, they're just so they last longer because hardbacks break down fast, okay? That's, that's why they do that. And if you have this tendency to twist your Bible, then buy a good hardback one. If you'd like, I recommend they come in shapes and sizes, you know? <laughs> Whenever you have the, the temptation to twist it, just go, <laughs> Sorry. Sorry, we're in a smacking mood today. There was a hammer in my Sunday school class for some other reason. I don't know why. There's just a hammer sitting in a chair. I don't know if someone is intending to use it on me or someone was intending me to use it on someone else, but we just put it off to the side. (laughs) I didn't throw it at anyone. I wasn't even tempted. Not really. (laughs) So the world will take something that is plainly obvious, plainly right, and say, no, 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 that's not how this works. No, that's one. The second thing, and I'm going to help you out with this one because this is one that gets people in a twist. The other part of this is you'll go, yeah, 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 yeah. I get all of that, but does God make mistakes? No. And they'll go, but, 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 but. I wasn't born with a natural function. I was born with what you call an unnatural function. So now what? Always remember one part of your foundation and your first principles. What does sin corrupt, children? Everything. Could sin corrupt possibly the way you think? Could sin corrupt the things that you desire? <gasps> Could sin corrupt the way that you seek to live your life? Yes, I have no doubt you were, you were born with that feeling, and I have no doubt you were born with that desire. Because sin corrupts everything. And it doesn't wait until you're 35 to go, all right, we're now going to attack that. It corrupts things from the very beginning. This is how sin works. This is how it operates. Now, I tell you all of that so that you can have that foundation so that we can then break this down. When you see this in a society, when you see the exaltation of brokenness in your society. Understand where the problem is. And the problem is not in the exterior. The problem is, as always, where? The interior. This is what a loss of wisdom in the world looks like. Deuteronomy 6. This is the commandment, the statutes and the judgments which the Lord your God has commanded me to teach you, that you might do them in the land where you're going over to possess it, so that you and your son and your grandson might fear the Lord your God, to keep all his statutes and his commandments which I command you all the days of your life, and that your days may be prolonged. Oh, Israel, you should listen and be careful to do it, that it may be well with you, and that you may multiply greatly, just as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you, and a land flowing with milk and honey. Now, your mind will lead you to live a life in accordance with the desires of what? Your heart. What do you want? That is what you will live. How does Jesus put that? Where your treasure is, your heart will be also. See, what do I want out of life? I will then seek to arrange my life to give me what? What I want. This helps explain that slacker you, my friend, you had in high school. (laughs) Why didn't he care about his grades? Because he didn't care about going to college and he didn't care about the job he might get. He had other priorities and other concerns. You might think he's misguided. I'm not arguing with you. I'm just pointing out that his actions are in accordance with what? What he wants out of life. I'm not interested in working that hard to get those grades. I'm just interested in slacking off and having fun. Therefore, my life produces what? 
This is how all of humanity lives. When you get to that place where you have this on a societal level, you can't change people's minds. You can't legislate actions in a way that will change. You need divine intervention to change the mind by first changing the heart. You need James 1. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all generously, generously if I could speak, and without reproach, and it will be given to him. This was Jesus' explanation to the disciples. Who can be saved? Well, with man, it is impossible, but with God, what? All things are possible. You need to change the heart first in order to change the mind. And in case you don't believe me, Paul continues on, verse 28. And just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, God gave them over to a depraved mind to do those things which are not proper. See, this is actually the worst judgment. The loss of wisdom stemming from what? a brokenness of heart and soul, a desire that has become disordered, which leads to a thinking that is disordered, which then produces a life that is disordered. This is the opposite of our sanctification equation. I always tell you this, right? Don't legislate your behavior. Legislate what? The thoughts that lead to the behavior, and you legislate the thoughts that lead to the behavior by changing what? The desires of the heart that lead you to the thought process that leads to the behavior. You have to start in here, not out there. Things like Matthew 11, or Matthew 15. It is not what enters into the mouth that defiles the man, but what proceeds out of the mouth that defiles the man. And what's the condition of humanity when left to their own devices? You can go all the way back to the beginning, just about Genesis 6. The Lord saw the wickedness of man was great upon the earth and that every intent of the thought of his heart was only evil continually. This is what we do. This is how we live. And again, as with everything else, I've told you this before. The idea that the kids are, are going to destroy the world and ruin it is not a new one. Um, Heinrich Bullinger, in sermons from the 16th century, admonishes his people not to complain about their grandkids because every generation says that the kids are worse than their parents. <laughs> and that was, what, 500 years ago, give or take? So it's been going on at least that long that I have documentation of. Why does it seem like that, though? Well, because when you have the brokenness expanding in humanity, the stuff that you thought was acceptable, and then there was, there's the stuff that you think is okay, and then there's the line you won't cross. Well, what do you think happens to the next generation living its own devices? Your no cross is now their acceptable, which means their no cross moves out, and then their kids, what happens? and their kids, and their kids. It's what I always warn you about your own sin in your life. You very rarely have just looked and gone, ooh, look at that depravity over there. Ooh, ooh, pick me, pick me, pick me. It doesn't work like that. What ends up happening? You kind of look, and you're like, mm, well, you know, it's not, you, you start making excuses and telling yourself lies, and, you know, you just slowly, no, 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 I'm not going over there. I'm still, I'm still right here. We're good, I'm good. And what happens over time? Where do you end up? You just kind of drift off. Oh, now I have that stupid Drift Away song stuck in my head. I will spare you. You're welcome. I've got 70s soft rock in my head. <laughs> Cameron's over there bobbing and weaving now. She's got the song in her head too. I'm sorry. You are now stuck with the yacht, rod in your, your yacht rock in your brain. Now, again, this is why you have to be changed. And Paul recognizes that. He's going to get to that, la get to that later in this letter, but he's just... He's got to build a foundation first, but we'll, we'll cheat and read ahead. I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. So, just in case you're wondering that, you know, there's depraved mind and things that are not proper, like what, Paul? First, don't ask questions because apostles will give you answers. But since you've already asked, we have to read 29, 30, and 31. Being filled with all unrighteousness, wickedness, greed, evil, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice, they are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, arrogant, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, without understanding, untrustworthy, unloving, unmerciful. Well, tell me how you really feel. <laughs> now, just real quick, just to point some perspective here, and why you should see this as problems of the heart and not just problems of action. If you were listing a, if you were giving a list of sins, would you stick murder and malice in the same list as gossip 
in disobedience to parents. Because <laughs> Paul did, if you missed it. <laughs> yeah, we went murder, envy, mur- envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice, gossips. <laughs> yeah, so if you're gossiping, Paul just puts you in the same lump as the thieves and the murderers and, and the liars. And if you're disobedient to parents, again, why? Well, go back to the command. The command in the Old Testament. What's the assumption? Why should you honor father and mother? Because they're following what God has told them. And as they follow, they are revealing a sanctified heart and are living in a sanctified life and are providing you with a blessing by showing you what is right and good in the world. And you, by following that, then partake of the same blessing. If you reject that, you are not rejecting the teaching of parents, but as parents are teaching you in God, you are rejecting the teachings of God. Now, if you have crummy parents, all bets are off, figure it out. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but still be honorable about it. That's part of, the, uh, part of the command here. The same thing goes on here. It's a, re- it's a revelation of the heart condition, the rejection of not some authority, but all authority, the reject of any station in life, the rejection of anything that could be traced back to having its foundation in God. And again, part of that is, Christian, who gave you those kids? Who gave you those parents? Like, did you wake up when you were seven and be like, man, I should have done a better job picking out parents. What was I thinking when I grabbed these two? I mean, my goodness. <laughs> you might have thought it, but is that how it went down? No, you just, you just showed up one day and this, this is who you got. God's not shocked by that. God's not going, oh, man, who sent the Miller kid to the Johnson house? You're fired. You know, like that's, that's, you know, it's not like Dave the angel is now fired and Steve got his job. You know, that's not how this works. I don't even know if there is an angel named Dave. That doesn't seem like a very Hebrew name. Well, he'd be David, right? Yeah. But Steve, can we give Steve, I mean, because Steve Eam? <laughs> yeah, I guarantee you King David wasn't known by Dave, but to a lot of people, you know, <laughs> Just, just going to go out on a limb there. Not a whole lot of people pat him on the back and you know, giving him a high five, calling him Dave. It's, it's not college. You get more than one syllable in your name. Only in college do you lose all syllables because nobody cares. Be like, what's your name? Christopher. Ah, uh, Chris. <laughs> nobody cares. And if you got too many syllables we can't, we can't simplify, you get a nickname and that's just the end of it. And that's just how it works. So again, the list reveals what? The heart the rejection of God and the things that he has given. Of course, we're disobedient to parents. We reject them because we reject the God who has given them. We reject the God who has ordered the world in this manner because who do we think should be God? Us, our wisdom, our strength, which again is what you see in the world. John 3, this is the judgment that the light has come into the world and men love the darkness rather than the light for the deeds were evil. And again, not just a New Testament concept. And by the way, I didn't call them this. Jeremiah called them this. Remember that when I read this, Jeremiah 4? My soul, my soul, I am in anguish. Oh, my heart, my heart is pounding in me and I cannot be silent because you have heard, oh, my soul. The sound of the trumpet, the alarm of war, disaster on disaster is proclaimed, for the whole land is devastated. Suddenly, tents are devastated, my curtains in an instant. How long must I see the standard and hear the sound of the trumpet? For my people are foolish. They know me not. They are stupid children and have no understanding. They are shrewd to do evil, but to do good, they do not know. See, I didn't say that. Jeremiah said that. (laughs) Now again, why? The army is camped about Jerusalem because the children have rejected. They have rejected the law that has been handed down. They have gone astray. They are foolish. They are unwise because their hearts have not been changed. Therefore, their actions are permanently broken. Now, if you live like that, so if you are the person that 18 through 31 is describing, what do you now desire With all of that reality, you know that God's wrath abides, you know the brokenness of your own heart, you see the lust that you are indulging in, and you know where it is going to lead you. What now, in your wisdom and strength, do you see as your greatest need? Think about it for a second. Don't answer out loud. Let the other children think. See, because you're thinking about it like a Christian right now. Don't do that. Think about it like a broken pagan. And verse 32 will make perfect sense to you. And although they know the ordinance of God, that those who practice such things are worthy of death, they not only do the same, but also give hearty approval to those who practice them. (laughs) Again, I've told you this before. When you live righteously in the world, the calloused sinner sees your life and does not assume the problem is him. The problem is you. 
This is why when churches and Christians go out into the world, they are the enemy. Not because they have said or done anything that is really that wrong or that evil, but they have reminded humanity of the evil that they know is there, that they have worked so hard to do what? Back all the beginning of this section. And to, to suppress and to bury so that I don't have to think about it and know about it. And again, not a new idea, Isaiah 5. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who substitute darkness for light and light for darkness, who substitute bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and clever in their own sight. See, this is the reality of the world, and this is the damage of the world. This is, again, why I tell you all the time to check that foundation. Because you don't go out into the world secure in your foundation, and the world goes, oh, look, look, there goes Christian. They're just so happy and lovable, and they're just doing so good. And, you know, I wish I, when I grow up, I want to be just like them. They say what? Hey, don't you want to come hang out with us? Don't you want to do this? What's the tug? What's the constant? This is why Scripture uses what kind of language? An anchor for a ship. Because what happens when you put the ship out in the middle of the ocean with no anchor? <laughs> Is it going to be where you left it? <laughs> be like, you know, I parked it right here. I don't know what could have possibly happened. If you've never done that, go to a busy lake, you know, a larger one, or go to the ocean and just stand still for a minute and see what it's. And then have real fun. Do that for about 20 minutes and then go stand on solid ground. <laughs> <laughs> your brain is still going, what just, no, okay, hang on. And then you sit down and like that made it worse. This is the world. This is what happens. There's no break. There's no reprieve. That's why we do what we do here on Sunday morning, by the way. This is your break. This is your reprieve. This is the place where the wobbling of the world is supposed to stop. This isn't the place where I'm supposed to bring you all of your problems. This is the place where you're supposed to fight through them with the knowledge of who God is and what he has done in your back pocket. That's the hope. That's the encouragement. This is the warning, though, here. This is the reality of the world and why Paul, again, things like Ephesians 5, do not participate in the unfruitful deeds of darkness, but instead expose them. What do you do in the world? Come on, what's the children's song? Sing it now, quickly. This little light of mine. I'm going to let it shine, let it shine. I say, sorry, I, I, they were singing and dancing in the service. You're welcome. <laughs> you are supposed to be salt and light in the world. Now, again, how? Just by simply using the wisdom of God, built on the foundations of God that he has given you because of the work that Christ has accomplished. Because always remember, the cure to this was already given in the previous section. That was all last week and the week before. Who you are in Christ is the antidote. This is the warning of what Christ is undoing. Now again, what's the cure? It's the gospel of Christ and trusting in his work. And if you don't believe me, something Paul's already written, 1 Corinthians. I mentioned this was one of those clobber passages. I didn't read it when we read uh, 26 and 27 because I wanted to read it now. 1 Corinthians 6. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals. And by the way, the reason why that reads so weird is because Paul is trying to cover both partners in a gay relationship, and I will just let you understand that from there. So it's not just like, well, you know, he's a little, you know, a little soft. You know, some guys are poets. That's not the problem that Paul is talking about. He's talking about, you, I already said it, I'm not going to say it again. Nor thieves, nor the covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers. These people will not inherit the kingdom of God. And you're going, okay, haven't we already covered that? Yes. Listen, please, very, very carefully to the next verse, okay? Such were some of you, but you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the spirit of our God. To put that in a really short version, 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. This is the work that Christ has accomplished. This is the work that he has done. This is the work that Paul wants to glorify in the book of Romans, by the way. But remember, what did Jude want to do when he writes his letter? I long to write you about the common faith that was delivered once for all to the saints, but <laughs> certain persons have crept in and are basically tearing you apart. Therefore, I have to encourage you to defend the faith. Paul's going to get to the glories of the gospel, 
but the need, but why is the gospel need? It has to come first. And that's part of the reason why there's so much bad news in this section, because you have to understand what's broken and wrong in the world, because also Christian, you have to understand what you're encountering it, but you encounter it at rest. Because in Christ, in you, it has been defeated. It has been overcome, and it has been conquered. And you also have to do it in rest because you can't change their mind. You can't win this war, but Christ can. And that's why that is part of our foundation, and that's what our foundation is built upon, because this is the arrow that we fire off into the world, is that I do not participate in the unfruitful deeds of darkness. Why? Because I recognize that they're unfruitful deeds of darkness. Well, wait a minute. How do you know they're unfruitful deeds of darkness? Oh, my friend, let me explain to you about what Jesus has explained. Because I call him Lord, Lord, and I actually, by his spirit and power, seek to do what he says. Never, by the way, mistake that as you're going to be perfect all the time. Please don't. You're not. I've met you. It's going to be bad some days. <laughs> See? <laughs> He's good. It's perfect timing. Well done. <laughs> this is why, again, I tell you, you rest here because you're going to wake up and go one day and go, where did that come from? What is that? Kill it. Kill it with fire. Kill it now. Okay, again, this is the good news. Such were some of you, but you were washed. You were sanctified. That's the picture. For those of you who can't hear because there's water splashing around, buried with him in death, raised to walk in the newness of life, dead to trespasses and sins. Not that you're never going to sin again, but that Christ has overcome, that Christ has conquered, and by his power, there's coming a day when I won't be tempted, when I won't fall, where I won't fail, because his kingdom will be realized. Oh, yes. Can we get to that one, please? That's the one we're looking for. That's the hope that we then go out into this world, Christian. But recognize that your light shines in this darkness. They don't want to know because they already know and they've rejected and they don't want to be reminded. And what they want to be told is, it's going to be fine. It's going to be okay. Come here, patch on the back. Here's your trophy. You are amazing and awesome just the way you are. No, you're not. No, you're not because the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. You're not okay in you, but in Christ, you're awesome. Why? Because he is cleansed. He is overcome. And that's the hope that we have to lean into and the hope that we have to carry out. Otherwise, this becomes us. And don't act like that's never been a temptation. Like you've never looked at the world and been like, you know what? If I just go along right now, they will leave me alone and everything will be fine. No, they won't. No, it won't. Because that's not how it works. Because again, what happens when the standard moves? Does sin look at that and go, oh, look, we have conquered this ground too. Let us rest from our labors and, and rejoice in our accomplishment. No, sin says what? Ooh, there's some stuff over there we can devour. Remember, the, what's, the, what's, the, what's the biblical description of sin? What's the most commonly used in the Old Testament? A plague of locusts. Locusts don't eat your cornfield and go, you know, that was a lovely meal. We'll eat the neighbor's cornfield next year. What do you think? We'll just take a break. Locusts say what? Ooh, look, more corn over there. Let's go. They just devour and devour and devour until there's nothing left or they explode or something. I don't know how that works. You just find them dead somewhere. Locusts and the birds, right? That's part of the CIA thing. <laughs> if you've, but unrelated to anything, if you're, I'm only halfway kidding, but there's this whole group that started out as a joke and people actually believe it, that birds are a CIA thing, that birds aren't real. <laughs> uh, don't you love humanity? Again, what will we believe? Anything but the truth of what God has given to us. Christian, don't be like that. Rest on your foundations. Make sure your first principles are right and then live accordingly. Let's pray.